You know, there's an ancient Norwegian phrase which sounds something like this. That means the red thread, which is the guiding thread which runs through something. Hello everyone, my name's Neil O'Hara and this is the Red Thread Podcast. We're going to take a stroll through the Old Testament and we're going to try and find out what the Bible really says and what we should really think about what it actually is. Each week, I'm going to have a conversation partner to speak with me on that subject. I hope you'll come with me and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to City Life Podcast once again. I'm Neil, as you should know by now. Brother Neil. Brother Neil. And this is my colleague, Captain Cutridge. Howdy doody. Um, hey, Helen, thanks for doing this. You're welcome, brother. Really appreciate it. So, what we've been talking about today. Today's episode was going to be the, aren't these weird things in the Bible? Let's talk about them. Um, I might try and ruin the fun and be more scholarly. I don't want to do that, but that's just when I was preparing. That's what seemed to happen. All right. But the, the thing for today is, right, what we've been talking about is what is the context yep. of the Pentateuch and exploring this notion of the multi-voiced nature. Lovely. So I think there are some pretty clear places in scripture where, um, I say it's multi-voiced because sometimes um, the different writers will agree. Sometimes what they say will be in harmony. Yeah. Sometimes they will be slightly different. Sometimes they will be in direct contradiction. Yeah. Um, And so I think it's important for us to listen to all the voices in scripture. Mm-hmm. even though that might be not what we're used to doing. That's what I mean by the multi-voiced nature of scripture. Okay. Sometimes it's direct contradictions. And it's it. What do you think about all of that? Does that mean sometimes it might not actually be the literal word of God? Say more. Why would, it, why would that mean that? Well, if it's contradictory and it's written by numerous other people, <coughs> mostly men. Um, and we don't know that, but it's probably true. Mostly men. And put together the Council of Nicaea. Nicaea? Is that how you say it? You say it, Nicaea. Nicaea. Yeah. So it's put together. Basically, a bunch of people go, oh, let's, let's choose these ones and not have these ones. Mm-hmm. There might be some form of discernment, but it's still like a bunch of dudes somewhere going, these are the ones we're going to choose. Yeah. That wasn't how the Bible was written. Like, it wasn't intended to be shoved together like that and then dispersed to the masses. Was it not? No, the letters written to specific groups of people half the time. Okay. Just, you know, written letter written to the Philippians, not the Philippians of the Corinthians and the Ephesians, the Philippians. Okay. Just saying. Just saying. Just Great. saying. Um, but yeah, like I just, you know, we're told, like a classic is thou shalt not kill, right? A, a steady... A sturdy firm, rule. It's pretty, pretty set. And yet, there are a lot of times when it's like, and now we're going to wipe out a whole community of people Mm. for funsies, or... I don't know if I'd say for fun, but (laughs) certainly God does command them to wipe out people groups. That sounds pretty contradictory to me. It does, doesn't it? Okay, so what would be your views more specifically of... The Pentateuch, like the first five books. What is okay. your experience of reading them? So I obviously did the classics when I was a kid, all the Bible stories. Did you? Yeah, well, you miss out on like all the fun stuff. So Noah got drunk after 
Oh, that's on my list. Oh, this is great, isn't it? Should we do that one? All right, so now he gets drunk and naked. Yes. Okay, so this is a weird thing in scripture. Tell me about, what is that story? So, Noah builds an ark. Yeah. A bunch of animals and stuff get on the ark, including mm. Noah and his family. Lovely. We've all heard that one. We've all heard We've that heard one. We've heard it, children. It rains, and then there's like a bird, and then another bird, and then yeah. there's a rainbow, and everything's hunky-dory, and that's the end of the story. That's what we're taught as kids, right? Yeah. What they seem to miss out is the fact that, like, total genocide. Like, that bit isn't massively... It's kind of like glossed over when you're a kid. What's the genocide bit? Like when everyone else dies who isn't on the boat. Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah, that's... That's a pretty clear that's case pretty of genocide, clear. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so they land on, on the mountain and Moses, not Moses, Noah, gets drunk and then naked and then is it his sons discover him and are really ashamed and then cover him up? Mm-hmm. So why is that story in there? Bit weird, like, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when you're a kid, you ignore it, right? Yeah. And you don't often talk about those things because they're really hard to explain. Yeah. And it could simply just be a message about humanity and that we're all flawed mm. and that be careful if you drink too much because you might get naked. Mm. That could be that could be it. Um, or it could be that the writer when this is a really funny story, just going to keep this in here just to see what people think. Um, or there might be some deep, profound, hidden meaning that I don't understand. Mm. Or, you know, anyone yet has explained it to me in some deep theological way. Okay. You got an explanation? Yeah, if you read the story, uh, where is it? It's, um, in your Bible? Genesis, it's in the Bible. In the Bible! Genesis 9. That pentateuch thing. Pentateuch. Woo! Hopefully, by this point, people will be used to words like pentateuch. Yeah. Just means five books in Greek. Pent is five. Indeed. Like a what pentagon. A pentagon or Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know any others. So what happens? Penthouse. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's one. Penthouse. Maybe it used to be on the fifth floor or something. Mm. Who knows? Right. So what happens? Uh, Noah, a man of the soil. So we are in Genesis nine, verses like twenty. Noah, man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. Uh, the two brothers come in backwards with a blanket, yeah. so they're not looking at their father's nakedness. They lay on it. They, they lay it on him, and they like, cover him up. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son has done, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves. He shall be to his brothers. So, Ham is the one that comes in and discovers him while he's yeah. still asleep. The brothers cover him up. Yeah. When he wakes up, he says, Ham has done something. How does he know what Ham has done? Right. There's, a, there's something missing in the story. Yeah. There's something alluded to, which it doesn't make explicit. Okay. Because um, otherwise, how would he know he was asleep? Sure. And it was something that was so bad, he curses all generations of like Ham's children. Canaan. Um, Canaan was the son of Ham. Okay. And so part of this is like, part of the reason I think it's, it's an origin story of why the okay. Canaanites are wrongans. Right. Like the Bible does this sometimes. When it talks about like sure. individuals, 
it's actually um like samaritans some, yeah like the idea of that one person embodies the whole yes right okay yeah exactly that's what some people think that they're doing there so this is like an origin story for the wrongness of canaanites <laughs> these wrongins they were wrongins and why they were wrongins is because it seems like um some scholars would say that well what did ham do to his father in his nakedness well it seems like he committed some kind of sexual crime against him okay while he was naked um and that is the thing for which canaan is forever cursed okay but the writers of the bible are a bit sort of backward about coming forward about these sorts of things so they keep the story mm -hmm. they kind of are a bit delicate with the with the horrible details okay how does that reading of the story sit with you i mean i get why they wouldn't teach you that in front like your little kids club can you imagine yeah. that chicks guys, hey now, guys let's talk about this yeah it is weird what they choose to include and what they don't choose to include because mm -hmm. like there are there are references of rape yes there's one very close where Lot's... Well, no, it's not right. You know where Lot's daughters... Do you know that one? Yes. Yeah, so Lot is like Abraham's cousin, like nephew, I think. Yes. They, he goes to a cave. His daughters are like, there's no men around, but we need babies. So we're going to have sex with our dad. They get their father drunk and they have sex with him. They include that story, so I'm not sure why they wouldn't in, be more explicit about the ham one. Is it because it's men? Men on men. Yeah. Yep, that might be it. So, I think, like, there are those classic <laughs> stories that you learn. Yeah. But so much of the way that we read the Bible, or I read the Bible, and I would say it's true for everyone else, is your headspace at the time and those, the, that baggage that you come with. So, I read the Bible as a woman, and as a bit of a, as a feminist woman, as someone who cares about justice, as a white woman as a disabled woman like all of those things interpret how i read the bible mm -hmm. so i come at it going well this is you know has come out in a time of like mass patriarchy and women are basically like sex objects and slaves and stuff so i read that automatically into the bible like there are those undertones of women are not equal to men they're not you know they don't have those standards and i also read into it this time where slavery is acceptable mm. which one might suggest now it's definitely not acceptable. We don't need to suggest it. It's not. It's not acceptable. <laughs> yeah. um, so I come at it from that. I yeah. So like there those things that I read into it, and every time I come back to reading certain bits, there's like that new, like I'm older, I have more understanding about this, that, and the other, and um, that I wouldn't notice before. So Jamie and I are looking at becoming foster parents, oh. which is exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I recently reread the story of Moses from the aspect of Moses being the first foster child. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, sure. Like, how cool is that? This That's idea fantastic. of, you know, this person is, I mean, actually adopted into, you know, the royal family and he's mm. raised and what a great story of what someone can accomplish if they are put within certain means or if you change their their background so instead of essentially even he would have been murdered right for being yeah. in his world. like that's the end of his story mm. but instead he becomes a man who is in charge who achieves so much through being in an egyptian family royalty and then through being the messenger of god and freeing mm. the israelites just through being fostered 
Oh, wow. How cool is that? Yeah. So, like, that is something I would not have thought about two years ago. I see what you're saying. Sure. So, yeah, those are the things that uh, change how I view it. Right. Sometimes I just read it as a story. Right. Done that. Just like, bash, I'm going to read Genesis today. Okay. Um, And sometimes I'm like, oh, this little thing's playing on my mind, so I'm going to look in depth about that. Maybe I'll see what other people have written about the time. So... I think I mentioned previously, like Leviticus. Yeah. I love Leviticus. You're a fan of Leviticus. I'm a fan of Leviticus. I mean, it's not everybody's cup of tea, is it? No, it's got some weird stuff. What do you love about it? So my mum was a nurse, and when she reads Leviticus, and she taught me that when she reads it, she sees it as a health document. Mm. Like, this is a list of rules and things to, to live by, so that when you're in the desert, it keeps you alive. So like, if you're just wandering around the desert for 40 years, and you see some shellfish, probably not a good idea to eat it. Why is that? Food poisoning, kids. Food poisoning. Food poisoning, great. Right? Getting a lot for their money, these guys, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just giving, if you find yourself wandering around the desert for 40 years, don't yeah. eat the shellfish. Don't eat the shellfish, great. Um, and like, yeah, there are loads of little bits of like pork to do with like how the meat is processed on, and like eating can be really bad for you. Can it? Right. It can be. It's very bad for you if it's not cooked properly. And yeah. Or like sensible things like if you're wearing one type of material, it's easier to regulate your body temperature. Okay. I mean, there is also just some weird stuff that I really understand. Mm. Um, but if you look at it that way, it kind of makes a bit more sense. So sending women away when they're on their period, mm. right, um, could be seen, and it might be seen, like I said, it's my interpretation, as this is really gross, make women go away when they're icky and moody. <laughs> that could be... I've not had, heard that reading. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. As someone who grew up with, like... Six women in the house. Right. Seven women in the house? Oh, I don't remember. There's a lot of women in the house. Like, that imp- there are hormones there. There mm. was a lot going on. So it could be perceived as, there's this thing, women are unclean, send them away. Mm. And women are referred to as unclean. Or it could be in a society where things are not understood, mm. like the menstrual flow, all of that stuff isn't understood. So maybe... Instead of women feeling ashamed and embarrassed about all of those things, that it could be because of the wording, maybe they are given dignity by being with other people who understand what's going on. Mm. You know, the words don't suggest, like, don't say that explicitly because they use words like unclean and they have to like, sacrifice stuff. But you could read into it, like, if this idea of we have a loving God and mm. we are made in the image of God, women as well as men, female attributes of God then there's something about dignity, about women being together during this period, and everyone's going to be in sync, because that's how it works. Oh, yeah. um, like, being away together, experiencing mm. that, having some dignity, um, and then coming back in. Mm. You know, or... Mel, pick up the unclean thing. Oh, please. Is that okay? Yes, because women are not unclean. Indeed. So... Um, this is a little bit of a tentative reading, but I think there's something to it. Great. So the word unclean there kind of captures a whole... Uh, it's a very broad concept where they've just chucked loads of things oh, in yeah. there that don't necessarily all like, have much in common. But with the concept of unclean, like in later like rabbinic things, um, in rabbinic writings, when you're talking about scripture, like the phrase that they use for is a book scripture or not, they say, does it make the hands unclean? Okay. And if it does, it's scripture. 
So the books of the Bible have this um, thing about them that they make the hands unclean. So it's, it like forces you to challenge yourself and your behaviour, is that or...? I don't know if I can understand it, but all I can say is that those books are considered holy. Yeah. And there is something about their holiness which mm-hmm. puts you in a state of ritual uncleanness. Okay. And so, like, when they're discussing should Ecclesiastes be in the Bible, the rabbis were like, does it make the hands unclean? Right. And so this concept of uncleanness is actually about touching something very, very holy. Um, sometimes. Sometimes it's not, like I say, it's a broad concept, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's about touching holy things. Yeah, so blood is a thing which belongs to God. Mm-hmm. Like it says, like, I forget where, but blood has the life in it. Yeah. And that's why God is like, this is mine. You can't eat it. Yeah. I'm not talking about eating uh, menstruation. <laughs> we're talking about... Mm. We're talking about eating, like, you know, blood from, like, sacrificed animals. Like kosher food. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I suspect that there is something about um, the woman's bleeding which is considered, like, uh, holy, and it makes your hands unclean in that sense. Okay. Yeah, so that that's a, a possible reading of it. Also, even more so because it's life-giving blood, right? Like right. literally, that yeah, is yeah, there yeah. for procreation. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so that's really cool. I like. Let's stick with that interpretation. Okay. That from now on is the interpretation of women being unclean during. Well, that, that's. I think that's probably more appropriate. But yeah, what I like I that. No, I I think that's really good. And then mm. again, does it maybe come down to this idea of dignity? Go away. I think I like together. that as well. Yeah, um, I like that too. So yeah, like so that's how my mum taught me to read Leviticus. It's this idea okay. of how do people live alongside each other when they're just wandering around the desert, desert for forty years? Yeah, you know they're all hot and sweaty and annoyed at each other. Food <laughs> is scarce. Like you know whatever. Not quail about so I hear. Yeah, not quail. <laughs> Lovely, not great for the vegetarians. No, no. Um, but yeah, like looking at things like that or. I don't know if it's in Leviticus, but it's, it's somewhere in that Bible. The idea of uh, if a man rapes a woman, he's then forced to marry her. Dude, it's so bad. But again, it gives dignity to that woman. It's disgusting and it's horrible. No <sighs> woman should ever be forced to marry their rapist. I think that's but you can see that now, right? So we look at that now in a time and place where we understand that you can be married and be raped. Like, marital rape is, is a thing. Mm-hmm. We're talking 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, mm-hmm. where that wasn't a mis- an understanding. This idea of you are a sexual object, you are owned by me. So, if a girl is raped, she's lost her dignity, she's lost everything, she's now worthless. Mm. Her options in life are to become a slave, to become a prostitute, to basically exist out like that's it she's she's now worthless mm. she has nothing and that man has taken it from her mm-hmm. by being forced to marry her he's being forced to take responsibility mm. and he's then giving her status in the world again it's warped and it's twisted and okay. i don't agree with it now but there is something small about giving dignity like if that's the parameters within which you're working it's context right you're looking at context. Um, and it's really easy to be disgusted about it now. I've got two things to say on that, Helen. Great. Great. First of all, I'm going to ask, um, what would it mean if the Bible does contain um, a commandment which is clearly very, very wrong? Yeah. What would that mean? Maybe I'll just leave that on the back burner. Okay. Secondly, I don't think I would agree with that reading. Of, all right. 
Yeah, so the NIV is particularly bad on translating those verses because, um, yeah, so in these laws about, uh, like, these sexual assault laws, um, there's a different word, like, used in, in different places, and I won't go into the boring detail of it, but basically, next to each other, there's laws about um, if a woman, like, in these old days, has sex outside of marriage she has to marry the person mm-hmm. that's that's the idea of the law if she gets raped that's not the case uh, she doesn't have to marry the person i think the guy has to like, um, undergo some kind of punishment mm-hmm. um but in the niv they translate those two words like right next to each other both as rape okay and that's incorrect that is not that doesn't follow the hebrew text right and even if you don't know the hebrew you can just read them and understand the logic of what's going on like it talks about he uses a horrible phrase like if you if the woman cries out mm-hmm. um that's how they identify as a sexual assault okay yeah i know so i think there are some problematic things about it but um i don't think those things are saying you have to marry the rapist i don't use the niv anymore okay. um for reasons like that NRSV, my friend yeah yeah i mean i'm not saying it's, there are some very problematic things about it um, not to be an apologist for the Bible, because I do think there are some uh, stuff in there which is very morally problematic. Oh, yeah, definitely. But that one, I would say, yeah, I don't think there ever was a law that you had to marry the rapist. It's not a have Could to, be wrong. but it's like an offer. Yeah. If that's an I offer. think that would be too problematic. I, if, if it said that in the Bible, I would say, that is wicked and you can't. Yeah. And that law was wrong. If it is, great. Women don't have to marry their rapists. If it's mm. not, then I feel like there's something about giving women dignity. So either way, it's a they win. Okay. I'm sticking. You know, I'm sticking to my thing. But I'm yeah, not sure. saying I'm not gonna like have a little bit more look more and say, okay, maybe let's change that. But if you are wrong and I'm right, yeah. I want to. I want to see a positive. Okay. Like I want to believe that there is a just God who wants his people to be treated equally. Yeah. So, what would we do then? If how would you how would you live with it if that if your version was correct? I look at context, right? Okay. So that would make it. I think that makes. I think context is important. You know, we are living in times when women have more rights and we have more status. I can own property, and I know. Um, I can vote. I can marry whoever I want. Uh, then there's loads of things now that I can do now yeah. that I couldn't do, I mean, 100 years ago, let alone mm. 10,000 years ago or whatever. Mm. So that context is really important. Okay. I don't think the context justifies it, but I, I can understand where you're I'm not saying it justifies it. Right. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying a woman should ever be forced to marry, or a man. Let's not just assume that it's... Um, any person should have to marry their rapist. I'm, but what I've chosen to see in that is a glimmer of dignity. Right. Because there are some things like go kill men, women and children. And people are like, oh no, it's just hyperbole. When they go and find all the animals and that, like, I told you to kill all of these things. (laughs) But like, that's the thing, right? Like, that's just evil. There's no way that a just God who's like, oh, I'm going to die for you, is then like, yes, just commit genocide. I mean, 
I think it has to challenge our very views of what scripture is. Yeah. Because, as you've rightly said, God commands genocide. Genocide means the destruction of a people group. Yep. God Men, specifically women, children, animals. Yeah. Everyone. A tribe. And he specifically says, like in Samuel, for instance, I think it's the Amalekites. He says, wipe the Amalekites out as a people group. Yeah. That's genocide. It's not okay. I don't think that's okay. I mean, what do we... I, I don't even think there's a thing. <laughs> it's just not okay. So what does that do to our view of scripture? Maybe I'm just a cynic. And uh, it's not even just, I am a cynic. But there's times when I read things like that in the Bible and I'm just like, how much of this is the word of God? And how much of this is people saying it's the word of God? Like someone's going, right, I've got a problem with these people. Mm. So I'm going to go, ah, let's, let's go kill everyone because God said so. So who's the one saying God said so there? Whether it's a prophet or a judge or the leader, whoever it is in, in those situations. Or is it, I mean, there's so many different ways of seeing it, right? So it could be someone misrepresenting the voice of God and saying, mm. I've heard from God. Or it could be someone mishearing the voice of God. Mishearing, either misrepresenting the voice of God, mishearing the voice of God. So I'll, just, I'll, I'll set out some of the options here, right? Oh, lovely. So, um, with that point of view, we can say, okay, um, let's take the story in Samuel. It was Samuel misheard the voice of God, and then he told them to <laughs> commit genocide. To, to commit genocide, and then a Bible writer, a writer, some few hundred years later, wrote that down. So, who did the mishearing there? Well, it was Samuel. Okay, that's one option. Mm -hmm. um, or you can say. The person who wrote the story wrote it in such a way that they thought they was writing the words of God and they were wrong. Yeah. I guess like, so who is the one doing the mishearing there? I'm just... Yeah? Who's the one doing the miss? I don't think you can say it's the characters in the story. <laughs> characters in the story. It's all made up. Yeah. I mean, I say, I say that in like a... I think there was a Samuel, obviously, but the stories are... Yeah, they're written with a certain aim in view. Mm -hmm. And so it's not they're not necessarily recording historical speeches that, like, say, Samuel or whoever did. And it's a storytelling, like, community, right? Like, so Jewish, the Jewish community, the religion, they pass on stories by telling, not writing them down. Yeah, they're also writing down as Yeah, well, like, obviously, because sure. we've got a Bible. Yeah. But that idea of like, so that person who wrote the Bible, the words of Samuel a couple of hundred years later, mm. he'd have heard it from someone who would have heard it from someone who would have heard it from someone who would have yeah. heard it from someone. So like is oral. the Bible writer the one who has misheard God? I mean... Have you heard that story in Genesis 6, 1 to 4? Oh, that one with the sons of God? What's that story? Uh... My, obviously I was never taught this in Bible school as a little kid. No one turns around and says, oh, let's talk about the sons of God coming down and having sex with the women. <laughs> no one talked about that. No one did. I don't know why. Right, so what happens then? So I have not read Genesis in a while. Probably, maybe I'll go and read it after this with a whole new way of seeing things. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding is there are these sons of God yeah. Whomever they might be. The sons of El. 
And we're not talking like Superman L. No, but I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this idea of like these come down and have sex and rape the women and then there are magical... They don't necessarily... I don't think they rape them. They marry them. Marry them. They okay, cho- that makes choo- me feel better. They choose the one... They find them attractive and they choose ones to and procreate with. And who wouldn't? Indeed. Um, so yeah, and then they have magical babies. Have I, magical I believe babies. that's the theological term. Magical babies and then they go off to Hogwarts yeah. and then the great book of harry potter is what oh man thank you lord <laughs> yeah he's enjoying that a bit all of that is true and apart from the harry potter bit yeah we the harry potter bit's not true but it's not um, true. alas the the babies are then by implication immortal and god says i'm not having any of this they're going to be 120 years old and that's it doesn't explain the though, does it or is this after that um Methuselah is after. He's like 900 and something. I think. He'd definitely still be alive. Yeah. Died in the flood. Yeah. So, so look, tell me about the sons of El. Look, it's weird, right? Because Judaism and Christianity are monotheistic religions. Yes. Monotheism means there's only one God. It's in the mono. It's in the mono bit. Well, and it's, yeah, it's in the, thea, thea, the theism bit as well. Because um, there's a distinction between monotheistic and monolatrous. Uh, religions. Obviously. Obviously, everybody blooming knows Obviously that. Obviously, everyone knows that. I nearly swore then. No, everybody knows that. <laughs> no so, swearing. No swearing. <laughs> it's gone down. <laughs> anyway, so a monolatrous uh, religion is where you worship one god. Okay. You don't necessarily believe in. And so there seems to be a trajectory in the Old Testament where they move from monolatry to monotheism. Okay. And this is one of the places where you get a glimpse of like the old way, where they thought, well, there was this other sort of other divinities, the sons of God, the sons of El. Mm-hmm. And they pop up from time to time in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Like here they pop up and, Lovely. and make immortal babies. Yeah. Uh, there's another place where they pop up, which is in Deuteronomy 32.8. You know what, I'm going to read it. Give us, give us some Bible. Bible. Which translation is this one? NRSV. Classic. Only the best. No, I don't know which is the best. I'm not, not a Hebrew scholar. When the Most High apportioned the nations, when he divided humankind, he fixed the boundaries of the people according to the number of the gods. That is according to the sons of El. Mm-hmm. So that is, in my understanding, a little fragment of myth. Okay. Sometimes in the Bible, like, they've recorded these little fragments of like different ways of telling sto- the story and like say you know the Babel story where yeah. it's like everybody's E-L at the end Babel Babel yes. sons of L yeah well it means it means gate of God the okay. L bit means yeah. God so that's why it's called Babel sure, sure, or Babel sure. um, so yeah in the Babel story God divides humanity mm-hmm. because they try to build a big tower and he confuses their language that's the well known story but here we've got a fragment of another story it says well the nations are divided because gods divided them among the different gods Mm -hmm. uh, so that the the different sons of El so that they could rule and Israel he kept for himself little old Israel he said they're going to be mine I like that one it's not yeah he said that that little one over there the little nerdy dweeby one the the dweeby (laughs) one exactly the dweeby nation the dweeby nation I'll keep it he took unto himself and so 
there we get the sons of El again. Mm-hmm. So they, they pop up here and there in the Bible. So, just an interjection. Please. Talking of Deuteronomy. Yeah. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It's not secret. It's there. Yeah. And they're, throughout, there are obviously there are lots of other gods who are mentioned. Yeah. But the sons of El yeah. are seeming different or... Um, well, it would be uh, my understanding that they're kind of a concept taken over from the Canaanite mythology. Okay. Like the people who lived in the land before the Israelites. They had this concept of the sons of El. Okay. And El in the Canaanite mythology is like the, the big god. Like, it's called like the father of gods and men. Sounds like a great book. It sounds like... Uh, I'll lend you it. <laughs> and yeah, he's got like these, his sons who are the uh-huh. sons of El. And the Hebrew Bible sort of takes over that theme but keeps them in the background a little bit. Right. Can I give you a bit of nerdiness about Deuteronomy? Yes. Right, so the, the Deuteronomy 32 8 bit, right? Um, something that we often don't talk about in church, but the Bible has an editorial history. Okay. It didn't just plop down from heaven as one book. What? Indeed. It went through a process of like growth, different stories coming in, like scribes doing different bits and that. And then there's a process of transmission. The text that we get the Bible from, the Hebrew text, is called the Masoretic text, Mm -hmm. which is like what we translate the Old Testament from. Sure. I love this bit. Anyway, in the Masoretic text of uh, this Deuteronomy verse, it says that the nations were divided among the sons of Israel. Okay. not the sons of El. Um, and scholars used to think that that was wrong because the Septuagint, which is the Greek text yeah. of the Old Testament, said sons of El. Because the Greek version is like much later, usually we go with the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, scholars were like, the Septuagint is probably correct. And it wasn't until they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, like the oldest version... Mm-hmm. of the Hebrew text of this um, yeah. this particular verse had sons of El. So what does that mean? That's a very complicated story. What does it mean? Yeah. It means at some point the editors of the Hebrew text were uncomfortable with this little... This sons is, of God. Yeah. yeah. And so they changed it to sons of Israel because it fits more with a monotheistic worldview. Yeah, sure. And so through scholarship, we've realised actually the original writer was not so um, squeamish about it. I say that because I think it's interesting to know some of the background <laughs> about how we get the Bible. Context. So yeah, that isn't the case with most of the Bible, but there are little bits where you have to work quite hard to work out what the original was. And mm-hmm. this is one. And it shows that some of the editors of the Bible during some of its transmission were a bit squeamish about it. some of the stuff the Bible actually says. Because some of it's weird and not okay. Because some of it is weird and not okay. Right. And so, I don't know, it's just nice to understand that even the people that transmitted the Bible were, like, offended by some of it. Yeah. And I think, obviously, I feel that today because I, like, you know, I became a Christian when I was 18, but I started immediately with, like, a very direct view of inspiration. You know, this is, God has said it, we read it. The literal word of God. Yeah, exactly. And so, even I'm uncomfortable with some of the stuff that, it says in the Bible and I've had to learn to kind of get used to it okay. it encourages me to know that even throughout history there have been like scribes and that have been like shh that stuff that, is a bit that's too, taking it too far that's a bit salty yeah. yeah 
we're not polytheists here. No, no. It's um, weird because I wasn't raised that way to quote, like with the Bible. Like my parents have always raised me with that idea of it is written by people over mm. a period of time. It mm. is, you know, yes, in some ways it's the living, breathing word of God because it tells God's story, mm. but it is not the literal word of God and was mm. not written by Moses. Um, like my parents have always taught me to question everything. Mm. Um, so you don't have these kind of struggles? I think maybe sometimes I look at it, but I and go, hang on a second, I'm not okay with that. But then I think context. And I think what is going on here and how do we find God in that? Mm. And if there's not God in that, and I think there genuinely are times like genocide. I don't think God is in genocide. I don't think that fits with the mm. nature of Jesus. It's certainly not the Jesus of the Gospels. that we No. Know, yeah. um, and so I'm like... That's not God. But there's a tension there because we take the Old Testament as scripture. But Jesus is the fulfilment of scripture. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's that understanding of how it works. Mm. So here are all these rules or laws or ways of living. Mm. And that is made clearer through the life of Jesus. So the idea, so take Sabbath, for example. Sabbath is holy, that shall not work on the Sabbath. That kind of, you're not even allowed to pick up grain or switch on the lights or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, but Jesus is like, hang on a second, if this person needs healing on the Sabbath and they need healing on the Sabbath, it's about rest, it's about remembering God, mm. not about this strict rule of don't do anything. Like, fulfilment and grace. Okay. But yeah, that's how I was taught to read the Bible. That is very interesting and good to hear. My dad was a scientist person. Oh, was he? A scientician? A scientician, yeah. Great, excellent. So, it's from mm. a family of scienticians. Helen, that's been a super fascinating conversation. <laughs> I've loved hearing your view of scripture. You know, we should have known it. It's going to be intense. This was supposed to be the fun episode. Sorry. No, no. I'm like, intense fun. I didn't want to do much fun but um you know it's it's, it's done we've done what we've done right um, we are who we are we can't change it look i've loved this conversation thank, thank you. you so much thank you um thank you everybody thanks we hope that this hasn't been too horrendous for you <laughs> if you need counseling at the if end you need counseling right into gree <laughs> or ring 999 they'll sort you out yeah anyway. <laughs> i can do pastoral chats if you, you need it pastoral chats. thanks for joining us everybody see you another time Thanks for listening to the Red Thread Podcast. This episode was recorded and edited by Green. Remember to subscribe to the City Life Church Podcast on Apple Podcasts and get notified when the next episode comes out. You can access these podcasts and more on our website, lovelutonorg slash podcast. See you next week. Nattering with Neil! Nattering with Neil! There you go.